Tomorrow is my wife and I's 46th anniversary. God's Word says, who can find a good woman? I did. I did. And it's been a blessing and an honor and a privilege to be able to serve this body. We have been in ministry side by side for over 40 years. And um, God has been very gracious to us. And so, but what's been helpful is surrounding ourselves with people who believe in us as well. And we're very grateful and very thankful for that. So for that, my wife and I say thank you. Amen. I want to continue on with a series that I started last week, and that was, I'm going to call it Return to the Word, and, and it'll make sense as we move on. But last week, just review, I don't typically do a lot of review, but I'm just going to do, say a couple things, and I encourage you to go to, you're going to have to go to uh, Facebook and find Vineyard Group to find last week's, uh, for some reason I didn't get connected and posted on the church website, but it's, it's out there, and, and it kind of helps build for this moment today and beyond, okay? But what I talked about last week was we're in this moment. Now listen, as a pastor, as a shepherd, as someone who has a prophetic bent, I don't call myself a prophet, but I do have a prophetic bent, and I see things coming in the future, and I really believe with all my heart that we are in for one rough ride. And I would not be doing my job as a shepherd if I didn't warn you and I didn't try with all my heart to prepare you for what's coming. Now, I have a victorious eschatology, meaning I know in the end God wins, but that doesn't mean it's not going to come without a price. And I do believe that God has established and has raised up a remnant, we're going to talk about that today, who's going to push through what's coming. I am not a doom and gloom guy. I'm forever the optimistic person, optimist. I will press through, push through, persevere until I make it to the other side. That's how I'm wired. And I believe my job is to help push you forward in this moment. Amen? Last week, I made this comment. I said, we are currently watching many, many, many attempts to censor, to repackage, and redefine truth. Right? Isn't that what we're seeing before our very eyes? It, it's been there for years, slow and steady, but all of a sudden the lids are all off and you're going, whoa, and you feel like you're being run over by a gigantic tsunami. There, I, we talked about this quote, you have your truth and I have mine. And I talked about how that reflects a worldview that seems to dom dominate much of the debate in today's postmodern society, and that is that truth is only relative. In other words, what's true for you is not true for me. And if I can warp my truth so it fits my narrative, I'm okay. And you should be okay with that. Not. <laughs> we compared that relative truth to absolute truth. Relative truth, we talked about how it's conditional, it's subjective, it's varying, it's contradictory, and it's capable of changing and morphing over time. When did good become bad? When did bad become good? I mean, when, when did all this happen before our eyes? But we know that. We've watched it. We've seen it. And we're certainly feeling it today. 
Whereas absolute truth, we, we kind of contrasted the two as constant, it's eternal, its meaning is universal, and it's never changing. We talked for a quick moment about if you have an honest grasp of reality, you would be reassured that truth is in fact not relative, it's absolute. We talked about jumping out of a plane. I'm going to jump out of this plane, but I identify as a bird. Well, good luck with that, because it's not going to work. You follow what I'm saying? I mean, we talked about planting corn. You're going to get corn. You're not going to get tomatoes. If you're a man, you're a man. If you're a woman, you're a woman. We also shared how all of these attempts to repackage and redefine truth isn't just this 21st phenomenon that's happening today. It's been happening for thousands of years, since the beginning of time. A warping of the truth. That's my quick review. So let's move on to part two. The prophetic ministry. Hmm. Well, that's a, quite a shift in gears. The prophetic ministry, I believe with all my heart, runs on two tracks. You have the gift of prophecy and you have the office of a prophet. The gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14.3 tells us that it is there and its goal, its aim is, is really to bring exhortation, to bring comfort, and to bring edifying to people that are around us. We're simply the conduit. God gives us a word. We speak. It brings life to someone around us that needs a word, a touch, a comfort from the Lord. Amen? We've taught that for years here. But the other track that runs simultaneously at the same time is that prophetic office, which naturally invokes provoking. It confronts. And it's always telling people, whoa, 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 get back to the truth. Many of the prophets in the Old Testament, that's what they were doing. You're out here, guys. You're going off the cliff. It's time to come home. It's time to come back to the truth. You need to repent. Come on back. Isn't that true? So turn with me to the book of Ezra. Ezra is right after 2 Chronicles, just before Nehemiah, and it's sandwiched in between the two of them. The book of Ezra, if I was to really summarize it, I, I believe it was written to teach us how to respond to the power and the presence and the purpose of God's Word in our lives. If, if I was to just totally make a fascination of what I believe Ezra is about. But, it's, but there are so many moving parts in the book of Ezra. Ezra was not a, uh, one of these widely known figures in the Bible. In fact, but we have to understand that, in fact, he played a vital role in bringing and restoring spiritual health to the Jewish people. That's what he did. That's what God called him to do. He was a priest. He was a scribe. Some would say he was a prophet. But under his religious leadership, he helped generate a revival that was happening among the Jews as they resettled back in Jerusalem. And, and the, the, the Jews had been in exile for years, and, and Ezra's part of this process of bringing the people back to Jerusalem. He was responsible for rebuilding the temple. He restored the worship life to the people of God. Amen? quick overview. We're going to do a quick overview today of, of Ezra, and then we're going to move on. So, so 
Interesting note about Ezra. In Ezra 7, 6, it tells us that, that, that the gracious hand of God was upon Ezra. Ezra had this incredible faith, not faith, but he had this incredible grace placed upon him by the hand of God. And, and Ezra, as we read, he was going to need that special anointing. He was going to need that grace of God on his life. Stop. Every one of you that are filled with the Spirit of God, God has released a grace upon you for such a time as this. You have to understand this. This is a story about Ezra and God releasing His grace upon him, like the Scripture says, but I'm telling you, in the New Testament, under the power of the Holy Spirit, we have been uh, given this, this moment of grace, which we're going to talk about. Amen? And, and I wrote here, he would need God's grace to accomplish his calling. His calling was to waken the people of Israel to the sins that had caused their decline, mm, the decline of their faithfulness to God. We're seeing that today. We're seeing this tremendous decline of people's faithfulness to the things of God. We can blame everybody in the country we can blame this group, that group, this thing, that church, this church, whatever church you want to blame. But at the end of the day, it falls on you. The Israelites had been doing everything outside of the will and the commands of God. We're going to read here in a moment. We're going to pick it up here where their disobedience was polluting the purity of their relationship with the Lord. Because they were like, we know God's word says. Remember we talked about getting our butts out of the way last week. I'll explain that for those that weren't here. <laughs> We're talking about this, this ministry my wife and I cut our teeth on, Jim Durkin, apostolic leader of it. It was an amazing brother. He was sharing one day, very conservative, sharing one day, and he said, there's one problem with truth, and it's our butts. They get in the way. And everyone's like, did he just say but in church? <laughs> but it's not the B-U-T-T, -T, it's B-U-T. Because he would say, we read the word, we read the absolute truth of God's word, and we say, but today we know it's different. But today the culture is different. But we, you follow what I'm saying? Okay. I just had to explain that so you didn't think I... I was getting out there and needed soap in my mouth or something. <clears throat> so let's read. Let's turn to Ezra chapter 9. Ezra had just gathered. He'd gone back to Jerusalem. He's getting ready to build the temple. They need stuff to build the temple. And that's in chapter 8. They gather all of this incredible amount of things needed to build the temple. Silver, gold, all kinds of crazy cool things were donated for the rebuilding of the temple. And in verse 1, it says, When these things had been done, the Jewish leaders came to me and said, Many of the people of Israel and even some of the priests and the Levites have not kept themselves separate from the other peoples living in the land. They have taken up the detestable practices of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jezebites, the Ammonites, the Moabites. That's a lot of bites. The Egyptians and the Amorites. For the men of Israel have married women from these people and have taken them as wives for their sons. God told them, when you go into the new land, you're going to be tempted, but do not marry into all of that because it will pollute what's happening in this holy people. 
And it will, they will bring with them all their woke ideas and all of their practices and all of their stuff into, and it will begin to meld down a warp and mess up my original plan for you. Isn't that what happened? Is that not something we're seeing today? It's weird how history repeats itself. So the holy race has become polluted by these mixed marriages. Worse yet, the leaders and the officials have led the way in this outrage. I read that and my heart just went, man, we're seeing that in some of the capital C churches across the country. I'll put the blame where it is. On people adopting and buying in and allowing sin to come into their camp. And it's morphed and it's warped the truth. People have walked away from the absolute truth of God's word, which is strong and mighty into this relative truth where I get to do what I want because it makes me happy, makes me feel good. If you guys want to leave at any point, you're welcome to. <laughs> at the time of the sacrifice, let's see, then all who trembled, oh, when I heard this, when I heard this, this is Ezra, I tore my cloak and my shirt pulled hair from my head and beard and sat down utterly shocked. Have you ever been that angry? I've thrown my arm across the yard a few times, but I've never plucked my beard out. Then all who trembled at the words of God of Israel, of the God of Israel, came and sat with me because of this outrage committed by the returned exiles. And I sat there utterly appalled until the time of the evening sacrifice. So here's Ezra, back in Jerusalem, moving among the exiles that had moved some that had come away before him, and they're back there, and all of this stuff is going on. The church left the original heart of God, and they're doing their own thing. At the time of the sacrifice, I stood up from where I had sat in mourning with my clothes torn. I fell to my knees. I lifted my hands to the Lord. My God, I prayed. Oh, my God, I am utterly ashamed. I blush to lift up my face to you, for our sins are piled higher than our heads, and our guilt has reached the heavens. From the days of our ancestors until now, we have been steeped in sin. That is why Ezra, all of a sudden, he knew why it was all falling apart. He knew why they were struggling. He said, this is why we and our kings and our priests have been at the mercy of the pagan kings of the land. We have been killed, captured, robbed, and disgraced just as we are today. Ezra really understood why Israel's disobedience to God's word had made them vulnerable to the hordes of invaders because they had left God's original plan and they turned to other stuff. When Ezra discovers, we read here, when he discovers the depth of this sin, oh my goodness, absolutely broke his heart. He falls on his face and he, he just repents not only for his own sins, but for the sins of the nation. Ezra knew that courting with the worldview contrary to God's will mm, would derail God's intent for the future of Israel. He knew this. 
but, but God. Verse 8, I love this. But now we have been given a brief moment of grace. For the Lord our God has allowed a few of us to survive as a remnant. I believe that we're in one of those moments where God has stopped the bus for a second and He's allowing His grace to come to give us a brief brief moment to allow those who understand whose and who they are to stand tall in this moment. This is your moment. You, you were created for such a time as this. This wasn't happenstance. This is a miraculous moment that God, out of all the trajectory of human beings and DNA and all this stuff, over time, that God said, this is you. This is now. This is the moment. You are my remnant. Stand tall. Do what's right. Let's get back to the word. Let's get back to the truth of God. You know, Ezra didn't wait for anyone to join him. Immediately, he begins his confession. And and we read that. I'm going to go on here and read this. Um, Well, I'm going to read here out of my other notes. Ezra 10.1. While Ezra prayed and made this confession, weeping and lying face down on the ground in front of the temple of God, a very large crowd of people from Israel, men, women, and children, gathered and wept bitterly with him. Ezra did not stand alone in this moment. Something in their hearts clicked, and they said, we want to be part of that. Because that ain't working. That's causing a lot of heartache. It's not working. Then Shekinah, the son of Jehath, a descendant of Elam, said to Ezra, We have been unfaithful to our God, for we have married these pagan women out of the land. But in spite of this, there is hope for Israel. What a moment. Listen, verse 3. Let us now make a covenant with our God to divorce our pagan wives and send them away with their children. I can't even get my head around that. Can you imagine how hard and how painful that had to have been? I just can't get my head around that. You need to go. God requires hard things of us if we're going to get this right. Some of you are going to have to make hard choices. But if you're part of the remnant, you will do it. It says, let us now make a covenant to, I already said that. We will follow the advice given by you and by the others who respect the commands of our God. God is looking for people who respect and desire to want to know him and his word. And that's what the remnant do. They have a deep respect for the word of God and his commands. Let it be done according to the law of God. Verse 4, get up, for it is your duty to tell us to proceed in setting things straight. They're saying to Ezra, Ezra, get up. It's your duty to tell us to proceed in setting things straight. We are behind you, so be strong and take action. What a moment. So only after confession... And only after true repentance is hope possible for an individual or a nation. 
I believe with all my heart we are in this moment, again, this brief moment of grace. Don't miss your opportunity. Don't miss your chance or you're going to go around the mountain again. And you have no one to blame but yourself. I believe right now we are in this moment. There is this convergence where heaven is coming down and earth are coming. They're coming together and there's this kissing moment. And in this moment, I believe that there's a revival of the word and it's underway. It's a word, God's word. There's a revival for a hunger for it. There's a revival, a, a revival going on in people's hearts to go, I want to go back to what I once knew. There's a revival for it. And I believe as God's people return to that word, the word of God, that we're going to see a reformation take place. Rel oh. I think we're going to start seeing people leave relative truth at a high rate of speed, and they're going to return to the absolute truth of God's word. J. Edwin Orr, he was a Baptist preacher, fireball, but he defined revival as this. He said, the spirit of God working through the word of God in the lives of the people of God. When was the last time you were drawn to your Bible? Something drew your heart there. You stopped everything that you were doing and plopped yourself down and I said, okay, God, I'm here. If you feel that sound in your heart, you're one of the remnant. I'm calling you out because God's calling you out. We need people who are gonna stand up and say, that's not true. This is truth. That's not right. We see a young lady in sports. Max, what's her name? Gaines? Riley Gaines. Standing up going, that's not true. This is what is truth. We need more people like that. Let's move on. We go over to the book of Nehemiah. And, and I'm going to do a quick overview of verses or chapters 1 through 7 very quickly just to kind of set the stage. And then we're going to hover on, on chapter 8, okay? So the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was the, 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 the prophet that went back in followed Ezra. Ezra laid the, kind of set the road, set the path. And, and Ezra got the temple rebuilt, but the walls were still broken. And the enemy was coming in and out of the walls. So there really wasn't a lot of safety there. And so Nehemiah, here's, here's this, chapter 1. The book of Nehemiah opens with him receiving news from his brother that Jerusalem is really in a bad state. Its walls are broken down, and therefore, as the exiles return, they are vulnerable to the enemies who are robbing and plundering them. So Nehemiah immediately just goes, oh my good, I didn't know this. So he prays to God and he confesses his own sins and again, the people's sins. Wow. And he asks God to grant him a favor in the eyes of the king. And then as he's preparing to make a, a request, we read on. 
Uh, in chapters 1 and 2, he makes that request. The king meets with him, and the, and the king grants him absence. Actually, the king actually gives him this letters bearing this seal that serve as a passport for travel. It's also kind of like a promise of the king's provision for all the supplies that, Rez, that Nehemiah is going to need to finish the wall. So the temple's finished, but the wall needs to be completed. And that's Nehemiah's job. In chapter 2, we're also introduced to some of the antagonists. Ugh. Got Sanballat, you got Tobiah, these guys come alongside and they're making Nehemiah's job as difficult as they can. They are just rubbing his face and doing everything they can to make it hard for him. But in chapters 3 through 7, we see Nehemiah, Nehemiah, he perseveres and he moves through a lot of trouble. But in the end, he rebuilds the wall of the city. And then we move on to chapter 8. In chapter 8, this is where I want to hover for a few minutes today. In chapter 8, if you read it in its entirety, and I encourage you to go back and read all of this. If you read chapter 8, it's entire. You'll see it's the beginning of this incredible spiritual revival, which comes as the people return to Jerusalem. No, they do return to Jerusalem, but it comes because they return to the Word of God. So at this point, at this point, the Jews have been in exile for many, many years away from Jerusalem. And as they begin to return to Jerusalem, this didn't actually happen all in one big moment. It's several ways over a span of something like 58 years. And I believe that it's during this time of span, uh, this span of time, um, that the events of the book of Esther took place. So chapter 8 begins, literally, with all these people gathered in the city square in front of the water gate. And here we see the people listening, and we see them respond to the word of God that Ezra is reading. It's been 70 years since captivity had begun, it had been a long time since any of those people had, in, had attended a Bible study because it was hidden and tucked away. And, and, and as you read it, you begin to realize how hungry these people were for truth. How hungry these people were for the Word of God. How hungry these people were for absolute truth. So, turn with me to chapter 8 if you're not already there. Verse 1. We'll just kind of read this together. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. The book of the law of Moses is the first five books of the Bible. You have, you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It was also called the Torah. It was also called the Pentateuch. Some call it the Pentateuch. At the end of the day, it was the book, it was the instruction manual of how to walk before God. Bring it out. So they command Ezra. Ezra goes and they bring out the book. Can you imagine how dusty that could have been? How when they open it, what a moment. You ever gotten an old book out? You ever looked at old family photos or like, Hundreds of years old, and you're like, ah. it was one of those moments. You can feel the intense, just people waiting for what's going to happen in a moment. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men, women, and all who were able to understand. 
That would have had to have been a large Sunday school. Children's church must have been huge that day. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and the women and the others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra read for something like six hours. Can you imagine standing there for six hours reading? Something's about to happen. This was definitely a move of the Spirit of God. Let's be honest. If, if, if sometimes if you preach over 40 minutes, people are like, man, I am tired. I want to go home. I got a chicken in the oven. I get it. Oh, no, pastor's reading another scripture. Oh, no, he went to the third book. Oh, no. Do you think that or do you get excited? Whoa, he's going on. He's going to read more. I mean, I'm not trying to meddle, but I am. You have to be honest with yourself. Do you get excited when the word of God opens in your presence? Do you get excited to get up in the morning and go, I'm going to read whatever book it is? Do you get excited? Or do you just see it as your duty? These people were excited. Something is about to happen. When I, when I read this and I look at this and I look at it its entirety and kind of zoom back, I just see that these people gathered from dawn to hear God's word. They were willing to sacrifice something to hear it. They wanted it. And like Jacob, they would not let go until they had their blessing. Are you that hungry when you read the word of God? I, my prayer is that God would restore to you a hunger and a thirst for his word like that. That it would, you'd be like, you get a call from the other room. Are you still in there reading? It's been three hours. Yeah. We have a lawn to mow. <laughs> Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood high on a wooden platform. They built a platform so he could get elevated to speak. Beside him on his right stood, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce all these names. He had people on his right and on his left. They stood there with him. And, and on his right and on their left of Ezra standing on this platform were people who supported him in his ministry, the ministry of teaching the word of God. The ministry and the word of God, the ministry of the word of God, I believe has its greatest effect when we see people who are gathered around those that are sharing and we support them and we're obedient to what God's word is speaking to our hearts. Ezra was not standing alone. He was not standing on a soapbox downtown Portland. I have seen that. He wasn't standing on a soapbox all by himself in downtown Seattle. I have seen that. Downtown San Francisco, I have seen that. He was not alone. He had supporters all around him. Ezra opened up the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. As he opened the book, all the people stood up. When was the last time we stood up? When someone was reading the word. Well, it's just not our culture, Pastor. I, I don't know. You stand up for the Super Bowl. You stand up when your favorite sports guy or gal makes something happen. 
fact, I've watched, I've been, I'm guilty of it. Yes! <laughs> but do we get that excited about God and His Word? I think it's coming. I think we're going to return to that. Where in the world am I at? He opened the book of the law. All the people stand up, I wrote. They had respect for God's word. They recognized God's word for what it was. It was the written, spoken word of God. It wasn't just some article or it wasn't just some other book somebody had thrown at them. It was the actual living, breathing word of God. And, and we see that something happened. We see that the Spirit of God is at work. And all of a sudden, we see three immediate results. We see that they thank God, the people prayed, and the people worshiped. After the word was read, they fell down on their face and worshiped God. What's interesting is we go on, verse 7, the Levites, I'm not going to name all them either, they instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear. And gave it the meaning, or gave the meaning, so the people understood what was being read. Interesting. The Levites, the priests, who were responsible for all the, most all of the religious ceremonial stuff, they stood there and they helped the people understand what this word was saying. They were a special group. And I think it's important for us to understand that we do need gifted teachers in the body of Christ. And there are reasons for that because they help us understand the word. This, this notion that I hear bounce around here in the last few years is, I have the Holy Spirit. I have no need of thee to teach me. I hear that time and time again. And it makes me want to reach across the table with a good right hook. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Put it in context. That's a teacher teaching that. It's totally out of context when they say it like that. I love it when someone expounds on the Word of God and I go, yeah, that's what that means. And the Spirit of God uses that person through that gift to reveal the truth to me. I love that. I need that. And I don't know it all. I read a ton. But I'm not much farther down the road than you are. If anything, we're in this together. But I love it when God, through a powerful teacher, reveals things. The Holy Spirit, I said, uses gifted teachers to bring spiritual discernment to us, helping us to understand what God's Word says. Think of Philip and the eunuch. Here's, here's Philip and the eunuch. Here's the eunuch going down the road. He's in his little chariot. Going down the road, his horse pulling him. And, and Philip sees him reading something. Hey, buddy, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch goes... How can I unless someone instructs me? So Philip jumps on the chariot and they go off down the road and Philip begins to explain what he's reading. I think we need to understand too that God's word was first written in a different language. It was written in a different culture. It was written in a different place. It was written in a far off land. And teach us, good gifted teachers help us understand the context of that for us today. It doesn't change the truth. It just brings to light what is there. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like these people that restore paintings. When you look at a painting that's dirty and you want to get it all clean, 
when an when a art restorer, someone who really knows what they're doing, gets in there and they start cleaning this picture up, that we look at it, it looks, it looks kind of gray and weird. All of a sudden, they reveal things that were always there, but the colors weren't as bright and the details weren't as clear because they were obscured by stuff. And when the painting is all cleaned up, the real impact of the original painter's work can be seen. My grandmother had an old painting that needed to be restored and she had that done. I was amazed at how beautiful it was. They didn't add anything to it. They took off what was obscuring what was underneath that. And that's what a good teacher does. Helps us understand what's happening in the Word. Let's go on, verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is a holy day to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listen to the words of the law. It doesn't say a few. They were all weeping. All the people wept when they heard the words of the law. The word of God was doing its intended work. Have you ever read the scriptures and something in your heart? You're just going, oh my. And the tears begin to fall. You read the word and you go, man. I need to work on my patience. I need to really learn to, I want better low-hanging fruit, God. I want to be like that man or woman that's planted by the stream and Psalms talks about that when people come along, they can receive good fruit, shade, fruit, life. I want to be that person. Hebrews 4.12, I wrote, reminds us, for the word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints of the marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now, I am a retired, believe it or not, meat cutter, and I know what sharp is. I truly know when you're filleting fish and stuff, you want razor sharp. When you're boning, you don't want it quite as sharp. So I understand what level of sharpness you need for whatever you're doing. But there is a sharp in God's word that can go where nowhere else and nobody can. Only the spirit of God through that word. People are always handing me books, which I don't mind reading. But at the end of the day, there's one book I read and it keeps changing. It's his word. It's always changing. It's always taking me to a deeper place. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that the word of God is, 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 is profitable. It's profitable for reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. So as they're reading God's word, it's having and it's doing what it was designed by God to do. It's convicting people's hearts. But all of a sudden, he tells them, don't mourn. Ezra, Nehemiah, and the Levites did not want the people to mourn. Even though it's a good thing to be sad under the conviction of the Holy Spirit by and through the Word of God, something deeper was going on here. And I believe it, it, it comes down to this. I had to write this out. I'm going I'm to read it as I wrote it so I don't mess this up. I wrote, yet your sense of conviction, yet if your sense of conviction is greater than the sense that God is doing a good and holy work, then the tears are not good. What? 
Our knowledge of sin should never be bigger than our knowledge of Jesus as our Savior. Did you catch that? Yes, we have sinned, but we have a greater Savior. He's bigger than anything we've done. He's able to deliver us from anything that we've done. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is nothing that you have done that he cannot or will not forgive if you ask him and you repent of. So Nehemiah said, go and, en go and enjoy choice, choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those who have nothing prepared. This is a holy day to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What a moment. Let's party. Wait, wait a minute. We, we just committed all this sin. We're still crying. He's going, no, stop it. This is a great time to rejoice in the joy of the Lord because that's your strength. The people felt sad, yes, because they were aware of their own sin. They were aware of how far they had drifted from God's truth. And they were coming home. Yeah, they were sad. I wrote here, but they could walk in joy because God was doing a great work. Our emotions are not beyond our control, guys. They're not. We can do God's will even when we don't feel like it. We can even when you don't feel like getting up in the morning and reading the Word, even when you don't feel like reading the Word in the evening or whatever time, there's not a formula for it. It's just do it. You can do this. The Levites in verse 11 calmed all, all the people saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. I love this. Then all the people went away to eat, drink, and send portions of food to celebrate with great joy because now they understood the words that had been made known to them. So, in essence, we see people returning to the Word with resolution. We see people returning to the Word with reverence. We see people returning to the Word with repentance. We see people returning to the Word rejoicing. So, the antidote to all of their troubles, the antidote to all the pain and the affliction they were suffering from wicked kings and, and, and the banditos of their time, the antidote truly was repentance and a wholehearted return to the truth of God's word. Garris Elkins wrote this. I'm going to read this very quickly. He said, today the church stands at historic crossroads. The culture is influencing, influencing the church instead of the church influencing the culture. We have interbred with the sins of the world, thinking it will make us more appealing and acceptable when it will rob us and the offspring of our faith of the inheritance we are called to leave behind. I do not want my grandkids to have to grow up in the ugliness of the world. I believe we're in this brief moment where grace has been released for us to truly make a difference. To return to the life of purity requires a remnant willing to make a defining choices. Now that will be determined how their history will be recorded and remembered. That's a powerful word. So, how many of you feel that heartbeat of God calling you, speaking in your heart, speaking in your ears, saying that you are one of my remnant ones? 
It's so powerful. <clears throat> Could I get you and Elizabeth or someone come up here for a moment, please? Elizabeth, are you, oh, you're, she's still here, yeah. Just keyboard would be awesome. I just, I just want to drive something home as we finish up. I hope you're here in my heart today. I want to provoke you. I want to challenge you. I want to gently push you back to the word, back to the truth of God's word. Some of the ways you've been thinking about things, they're messed up. They're morphed, they're warped, and they truly don't align with God's written word. They truly don't align with absolute truth. But here is an absolute truth I want you to hear in this moment. Judges 6, the story of Gideon. I love this story. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You guys know the story. Gideon, the Midianites have been just pounding the children of Israel, and they're hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Gideon's in this little hole in the ground, and he's trying to get some wheat and chaff separated so he could get some food to help feed his family. The angel of the Lord comes to him and he says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. <clears throat> Gideon's looking around like, who are you talking to? You're not talking to me. I'm talking to you. He said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Then Gideon replies something that I think every one of us could ask in this moment because I certainly hear it from people. And that is, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? If the Lord is with us today, Pastor, why is all this happening with us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Do not, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has given us into the hand of the Midian. That's what he was seeing with his natural eyes. It's not working, angel. It's not like this, you promised. I, I hear this today. Where are all the miracles? I look for miracles. I see some here and there, but I believe we could see a lot more if we really truly believe what God said in his word and we took it in as absolute. But listen. The Lord had an answer for Gideon. You guys want to know what the antidote for right now is? You want to know an absolute truth? Let's stand. You know the story of Gideon. As time went on, he, he really began to believe what God said about him as being true and real. Verse 16, the Lord answered and he said, I will be with you. And I will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. You want to know the truth today? You want to know the antidote to what we're seeing in front of us? You want to know what the answer is? You are the answer. Every one of you. You're the answer to what's going on today. Don't quit. Stand tall. Keep fighting. Keep leaning into it. You are the answer for today's problems. You are the Gideons of today. You are mighty and you're full of amazing grace in this moment that God is releasing for you as a remnant to stand tall and to speak out. Take that sword out and begin to swing it. Open up God's word and see it fresh and anew. Begin to just say, God, give me a hunger to want to know you. 
Give me a hunger to want to consume your word. I know some of you are tired. I get that. But God says, I will be with you. I will strengthen your weak knees. I will restore to you what the moth and the canker worm has eaten. It's time to come home. It's time to return to the absolute truth of God's word. That's the only thing that will change this country. So I just want to say, if that's you, if you truly want to be and truly feel you are one of the remnant, I want you to come forward because I want to pray over you that God would increase that anointing, that you would truly understand that you are the answer. a vision back in uh, March, March 6th, and I've been just holding on to it for the right time, and I believe this is now. So God showed me our congregation, all of you, and the rest of the family that might be gone today. We're full of lions. You guys are lions. He showed, he didn't, I didn't see the faces that I'm seeing right now. I saw lions. And then he showed me the city of Grants Pass, but it was all dark. But when the lions started to descend upon it, there were spots of light around the city, and soon the darkness had nowhere to hide. And soon I saw a bright shining light, a bright shining city. As Christians, we are not called to react to the darkness but to respond to the Lord. The darkness is only going to bring out the light. So go out there, lions, and be the light in our city. You guys are the answer, just like Doug said. We are the answer that they need. Jesus in you is the answer that they need. In him we have all that we need to do this. Six years ago, I had a dream, and I was standing in the back of a classroom, leaning up against a, a table, and one of the students, it was, it was full of students, and a student came up to me and said, you're the speaker. You're going to be teaching us. And I said, what am I going to be teaching you on? Because I had no clue. And he said, you're going to exegete Nehemiah 9. You're going to teach on, expound on. You're going to pull out all of the truths in Nehemiah 9. And I said, okay. And I started walking to the front. And as I walked down the aisle the myriads of people started to grow and grow and grow. There's so many people out there that are hungry for the Word of God. Yes. And at the time, I wasn't that hungry. 
And so after I woke up from the dream, I read Nehemiah 9. I read the whole book of Nehemiah. I read Ezra. I read everything that pertained to building of the wall and the repentance and everybody making a covenant with the Lord. And I'm still digging in. But the thing that impressed me the most was the myriads of people that were waiting to hear the truth of God. It wasn't me. I'm supposed to exegete the scripture. I'm supposed to dig into the scripture. But it's everyone who calls yes. themselves a child of God. Yes. Yes. Because there are myriads that are waiting for the answer. Doug briefly mentioned uh, Riley Gaines. I want to tell you a little bit about her, her story. As you know, she's a swimmer. Maybe you don't know, she's a swimmer who was beat out by the trans person who took away her title, took away her win, and she thought it was very unjust. And she kept waiting for someone in authority to stand up and say, hey, this is wrong. She looked to her coaches. She looked to her leaders. She looked to politicians. Nobody stood up. And then she realized it was her that yes. was supposed to stand up. You are the answer. You are the answer. <clears throat> and she's standing up. And she's a Christian. She loves God. She's recalling her upbringing as a, uh, someone in the family of God who grew up in a Christian family, and she realized this is her moment. Yes. And as you do any study on her, you'll find out she's a dynamic voice now, incredible voice. And it's amazing. It's great. And I want to say one other thing. Uh, you know, there's been a prayer movement going on in the body of Christ and in this fellowship for 30 years plus. And we've been praying aggressively for God's revival to come and move upon our land. And, uh, you know, the Lord keeps showing me this picture, and I struggle with this picture because it bothers me. But I see in heaven, like up the ledge of heaven, and then earth below, and on this ledge of heaven, there's buckets buckets of things that haven't been poured out. Yeah. Yeah. Buckets of answers of prayers that haven't been poured out. The prayers have been prayed. They're full in those buckets. But the Lord is looking for someone to pour them out on. He's looking for someone to say, this is my moment. Pour it out on me. I'm ready to speak for you. I am ready to speak for you. And then I just think the Lord would have such a heyday to go over there and kick that bucket off the edge. And let it just pour out on whoever is willing, whoever wants to participate. Now, I'm struggling with this whole thing myself. I'm going through a, a time right now where I just, I'm going mad. I'm going, God, I know you want to do these things, but I feel so powerless in this time. Yeah. Anybody feel like that? Yeah. Yeah. But he has called us for such a time as this. And whatever that looks like, it's going to be totally different for every one of you. Some of you are going to be doing actual evangelism. Some of you are going to get involved in political arenas. Some of you are going to get involved in school boards. Some of you are going to get involved in family dynamics. Or you're going to start speaking the truth in love. And it doesn't matter if it offends a few people. It has to be said. And it'll change the world. I guarantee it'll change this nation if we just speak the truth of love. 
So good. Don't go far. I hope you're hearing this. You are the answer. Every one of you, you are the answer. Max, I would love to have you pray over us. Just, I know your passion and your heart. We're going to, in the next few weeks, challenge your paradigms. I'm going to push you a little bit in a direction you're like maybe not comfortable with. And that is we're going to push you into more of a kingdom mindset. Yeah, that's it, a kingdom mindset. <laughs> you are a peculiar people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You see something the world doesn't see. Thank you, Jesus. And I know some of you right now, you've got a rage in your heart. You want to release it. Thank you. But you don't know how. I don't either. So, Lord, we just come to you. And we pray, as Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever that looks like for each and every one of us, we release it now in this place, and we release it over our cities. And we say, your kingdom come right here, right now, in the days ahead. We want to see breakthroughs come. We want to see darkness run. We want to see uh, darkness running out the door and slamming the door open that the light doesn't catch them because it's going to vaporize them. So we just release that upon this people. Release Release it upon this community, God, that your kingdom would come in such a way that light would just spectacularly be displayed for all to see. And there would be no problem differentiating the difference between light and darkness. Light is light, and darkness is darkness, and light always makes darkness flee. And we speak it in the name of Jesus. Release, 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 release. You know, let's just, let's just do something for a moment. All of you are deputized here for a moment. Just turn and begin to pray for one another. Just a releasing of the presence of God, the power of God, the truth of God into your heart that you would be recalibrated in this moment to go out of that door with a whole new perspective on who and whose you are, okay? Just find someone, just start praying.